Hey guys, this is Aaron. Before we start today's episode, I'd just like to say that we've created a Patreon for Millsorp World. This will go towards paying our uh, subscription host for the podcast and will prevent the podcast from being deleted after 90 days so that people can still continue to enjoy the podcast through their favorite app. It's currently at $12 a month to fund the subscription host, and whatever you guys want to donate, that's fine with us. We don't have a, we don't have a limit or anything like that. Uh, if you don't want to donate, that's perfectly fine too. You can always find the podcasts on Danny's channel, North Florida Gun Guy, on YouTube. I will link in the description of the podcast, Patreon's uh, website, and you can go there and donate. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Millsurf World, the podcast about military surplus. I'm your host, Aaron, and I'm joined today by Danny. Say hi, Danny. Hey, you guys. Thanks, Danny. Today's topic, we're going to be discussing the current Millsurf market and guns to look for in 2019 and guns that we're going to be looking for in 2019. Isn't that right, Danny? Ed Zachary, we are going to be talking about guns in this episode, big surprise, but specifically... With 2019 coming up, guns that we think that you guys know about. Yeah. All right. Well, Danny's been out and about a lot here recently, going to shows and such. So we're just going to see what he's been noticing out on the on the beat, I guess. Uh, yeah. So going out um, and also just, you know, I'm constantly like paying attention to gun broker ads and just a bit of gun popular culture. Give me an idea of what I think. Uh, guns that are catching on, guns that are going to catch on further. Yeah, and guns that I think that people should now uh, before it's too late. So what have you been seeing out in at the shows and such? Like are the prices going up, going down, or are you seeing more and more selection or what? I guess this gets into the first sort of gun that I was going to talk about. Um as far as overall selection, I mean, it's a little hard. It's getting harder to find. The shows, I, I tend to notice that there's either certain dealers that deal in old guns, and those are really cool, and you can sort of look out for them, but their prices tend to be uh, above market. Yeah, Millsurp selection, it definitely seems very sporadic. Um, the times that I see it, like at different vendors, it seems like they just happen to get them. Uh, sometimes it's just like this one vendor will happen to have this one old gun and that's sort of it. I'll notice that certain vendors, they'll have a whole bunch of guns. And uh, actually I went to a gun show today and I noticed this one vendor, he had a whole lot of guns and they all shared a theme. Like these guns, they were all like predominantly like Mausers, some other gun that, that served, you know, in the, in the German military, some other rifle. And it's pretty obvious that those all came from a single collection, like, uh, like sort of like maybe someone passed away and this, you know, this was like an estate sale or something. And these, and these guys just, they bought up the whole, the whole gun estate. And those were pretty high. Those guys, uh, there were some pretty special rifles there that, that they were selling and, and the prices are pretty high. And it's, you know, a couple of those guns, I've honestly, um, there was a G29 O there and I've never seen a G29 O before like in, in, in real life. Like I've seen them online and stuff, but seen and you know in real life and it and it had a really high price on it too um it does definitely seem to be a bit more of a seller's market right now when it comes to certain rare guns there's certain rare guns that you're gonna have to pay a high price for there's not going to be very many of them and you're gonna have to sort of you know fight the other collectors for it yeah. get them to it yeah i'd agree uh, with you there there's the, the the rare market is still pretty strong yeah and then you can go 
I mean, you can go to a gun show and you can see how many 9130s are there. And some, man, I, I was at a show and there was like, oh, I don't know why, but just about every had a 9130 there. And there was actually pretty good prices. Like I would say like just below current market price uh, to the fact that because I've never owned a 9130, I was like, how, oh, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get one. That's actually a pretty decent price nowadays. I'm like, I was at the show for a few hours and like none of them sold while, while I was there. So it seems like the rare stuff, you know, like the, the, the collectors are really going after, but then the common stuff is, is not too, the market's not too hot on it. So it does kind of seem a little bit sporadic and, and I location definitely does play into this as well. Um, because I've been to shows uh, all over the country and it's, Yes, there's some guns that are that are always popular no matter where you are, like German stuff. Um, some places you can you can go to it and people don't care about uh, Scandinavian guns and Scandinavian guns will be there and will be pretty cheap. So like um, show I went to in Washington State, there was Norwegian and Swedish guns there and to them. everybody there just wanted U.S. rifles. And so, yeah, I guess I guess, you know, you know, has something to do with it um, a little bit. But yeah, the, the market is is kind of tricky, man, like some some. Definitely appreciating in value a lot. And then the other ones are staying pretty stagnant. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird to see the stuff that you're just kind of like, oh, it's staying at that price. So you, you see everything else jumping up. But some of the stuff just doesn't really do have the following. And we'll kind of get into that later on. But like like we were talking about before the podcast, there's, there's countries that just don't have like the quote unquote prestige or whatever of being, of being in a major war. You know, they were a neutral country or people just don't care for the the combatants or whatever. And it's just like those those uh, firearms are not being appreciated the same way, even though they're probably just as good. Uh, yeah, that's that's a pretty good point. Like, I think even if they are fairly major combatants, the rifles still aren't very popular. So like Italians, right, the, the Carcanos and stuff like that, super sought after as much anymore. Or, I mean, it, I don't I don't know if it that they ever really have been sought after but it's not in both world wars and the rifles that they fought in both world wars with aren't popular so of people's opinions on the rifles go into it as well but um you know the the crazy thing is some neutral guns some swedish guns go for more than um, like japanese and italian guns a bit of a um not i'll have to say not all japanese guns are cheap i've noticed actually going up like japanese pistols and stuff like that like probably in the last couple of years man mamboos like a couple hundred dollars i would say i don't know why i don't think people are shooting them anymore they're just getting more and more collectible and then um so there's the cheap i'm going to say the cheap air sakas which are the ones that have like ground mum and then maybe they don't have 99 they don't have all the accoutrements on them um, uh, especially the then, last ditch rifles especially that you're going to see those too and yeah, and last ditch rifles, those don't tend to demand a really high price. They're pretty common. Um, I don't think people, because those aren't necessarily nice collector guns, shooters, because the ammo is not that available. So I don't think those, you know, those people really, really want those. However, now if you find like a Japanese Type 99 or Type 38 with a mum, uh, I know like this is, it's kind of silly, but if it has the mum, the price really does jump, or at least to it, it really goes up significantly just just from having a mum. So features will kind of vary whether or not. Like it's hard to just say like all Japanese Arasakas are, are cheap because them are, but there are some guns like 
if if a type 99 has you know, uh, the a sites the mum the the monopod the cleaning rod and uh and the dust cover goes like that is a high that's going to be a pretty high dollar gun like that would probably uh rival a uh, like a nice matching k98k like as, in terms of price um yeah. just because of the, uh, the the rarity of those yeah but that that's going to be far and few between compared to the the majority of the market yeah yeah i think i've only seen like a couple uh type 99s like that in in, in real life other than online you know you see them online but yeah they're, it's really hard to find a, a good like matching or, or you know a, an arasaka with all the features yeah and that's where it really that's what it really is about with the, with the arasakas is the the features and having them well before we get too far into guns you to look out for what are like the, the tips are still the same that we discussed in our very first episode back in November. You've got to hit the beat. You've got to hit up your gun stores in the area, your pawn shops, any place that sells guns. Go there. Check them out once a month, once every other week. Go around. Go to the shops. Go talk to people. Post on arms list in your local arms list and say you're looking for stuff. You You can't just expect stuff to fall into your lap anymore, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's just something... I know we've talked about this a few times, but yeah, like you can't expect this stuff just to find it. You can't, you can't go to like one gun store or like show like late, you know, late on the last day or whatever, and just be like, man, there's no good stuff. There's no good price stuff or whatever. You can't, you can't, you know, those, those type of people, they're not going to find the deals and they're not going to have cool, cheap guns. Um, yeah, you do have to build the rapport with people. You have to, you know, you have to go to the to all the shows. You have to go to. Um, here's a good one we should talk about. Actually, we people should start going to uh, state sales more often, especially you know with the state sales at firearms. Oh yeah, I always suggest that actually, and I discussed this with you before. Is that uh, previously a couple of years ago I would suggest to people. Don't go to firearms only auctions. Go to estate sales with auction, well, with firearms in them, because the people going to an estate sale or estate auction, I should say, all of those people there are not going to be buying guns. They're going to be there to buy other stuff as well as potentially buying a gun. But with a firearms only auction, all of those people there are there to buy firearms. So they're all your competition. And another key thing I think for people when they go to an auction, don't go in expecting to get like the one gun. Don't spend your whole time there expecting to get the one thing. Don't just come in with like an attitude of I'm going to be happy with anything that we can get and like have an idea of what you're wanting to look for so that you know what the numbers come up so you know what to look for. But like it's so disappointing and frustrating and I've had this happen to me before when you drive like 45 minutes an hour to go to an auction and then spend two hours waiting for it to get to the one item you want and then the bidding starts at $300 above what you wanted to pay. And that's just so frustrating. So I always say to people, don't go in expecting to win the one item you want. Go in ex with an open mind and, and just get, you know, something. And you can you can sell it later if you don't like it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I guess a, a good start to that would be to do do the research. And, like, you knew probably that it was going to go for and you knew your price, like your 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 top dollar. So at least you knew that because you could have gone in and you could have overpaid for it, you know, if you didn't, if you didn't know about the gun and the, and the current market, it overpaid. Yeah. That's something you always want to look out for is that you just, you want to, if you're going then and they have the listings and everything like that beforehand, look at what you would be interested in and then decide what you're willing to pay for it. When it gets to that point, be ready to stop. 
because that's another part I've had to happen to me before is that I got interested in something and I didn't want to stop. But unfortunately, I didn't get stuck with anything. The, you need to be able to, it's almost like gambling. You know, you need to know when to quit. Yeah, yeah. so I would suggest definitely doing, doing your research before you go into anything like that. Be prepared for the worst case scenario of you leaving there with nothing. Be prepared for that. And uh, and then pretty much, you know, if anything, if you leave with anything good or cheap or whatever, then it, then it's all a plus. But just low expectations is the uh, the, the, the key to happiness here, uh, probably, probably with most of life. But, you know, set a low expectation when you go there. Don't expect to be, you know, a lot of things. However, um, there's plenty of times where, you know, stuff won't be even listed. And, you know, you'll go to this auction thing, there's just a couple guns, and then, you know, there might there might be actually something really cool there. Yeah, exactly. I've had that happen to me before, and that's how I got my uh, L1A1, the uh, British version of the FAL. It was listed in the auction as a 308 Sporter, and I'm like... 308 Sporter. Yeah, that's what it says on the side, because that's what um, Century wrote on the side whenever they imported it. Like PC, code name for... <laughs> Yeah, it's, scary gun. it's just a weird thing they wrote on it, but the, the auction listing didn't understand that, so they just said, okay, it says 308 Sporter Rifle on the side, just put that in the listing. And that's how I got an FNFAL for $290, because nobody was Dang. there to buy it. Do I shot that. You did shoot that, and you liked it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what was I, next? I really suggest, I think that previously I would suggest not going to firearms-only auctions, but now I'm almost suggesting to go, and I had this discussion with Danny before as well, the firearms-only auctions, the, the selection is so broad and so much, especially with local ones that are not necessarily going to be online or online-only ones. You're competing with maybe 50 to 75 people, and you're not competing with the entire country all at once. You're going to be, you're, if you're going to be there, you're going to be there all day, and you're going to be there from like 10 a.m. to like 8 p.m., by the time it gets to 8 p.m., there's going to be like 10 people left. And you could come out with some really great deals. I had a friend of mine go to a local auction here and ended up buying... He bought like six guns for less than $20 a piece. They were functional firearms. They weren't Millsurps, but I mean, they were 22 revolvers and some shotguns and stuff like that. But that's a six, six guns for under $20 because nobody wanted them. Yeah, that's one of those things where you're losing money not buying it. Yeah, I mean, he bought uh, perfectly functional twenty-two revolvers that he, he bought three or four of them for like $50. And it was just like, well, why not? If, if anything, I can sell it for 60 and make a profit on it. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess to the listener, the, the, point, the point of all this is like, don't just write and just look at what your one gun shop. You know, you, you have to think outside the box when it comes to where you're, you know, you're going to find your guns. You know, you have to stay active. You have to keep looking. And that's deals. It's how you find the, the cool stuff. Yeah, and I would also suggest, even though we're going to talk about stuff we're going to be looking for, don't hesitate if you come across a deal to buy it and keep on to it or potentially sell it for the future. But don't don't be afraid to buy something that's not on your quote-unquote list. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. You have to kind of, yeah, pretty much be prepared to, to buy something. And that can be a little scary if you don't know... And I mean, there's been a time before where, you know, I'm walking around a gun show and I see something and I go, oh, this could be really something. And I literally, I just held it in one hand, one in the other. And I just, and I looked it up, you know, like I, I Googled it. I, you know, got on Gun Broker and, um, 
deal. And I'm sure, you know, I could have sat that down and walked away or something, but somebody else could have got it, but prepared to prepared to get it um, yeah. to right then, because you can very easily, there's a lot, you know, a lot of gun guys and everybody has a story of the gun that got away, you know, like, Oh, I, I thought it would be there. And I, and I walked away and I was going to go to the ATM and oh, I was gone when I got back, you know, there's a lot of stories like that. So prepared to yeah. jump on the deal when you find it because somebody else is going to jump on it. Yeah. Don't expect it to be back to be there when you come back. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, that happened to uh, that happened to Will. Um, what, what cool gun was it that he found in a gun shop? And he and he was like, he he laughed and he and he thought about it and he's like, dang it, I should have bought that gun. It was a good price. So he went back like the next day and it was gone. That happened to his Danish Krag, and then the guy that bought it decided he didn't like it, so he returned it. Oh, I didn't know that happened with that Danish Krag. Oh man, I want that Krag. I don't know why I want it though. I don't like guns typically with straight bolt handles, but I want that. Yeah. It's a pretty neat looking thing. Maybe I'll trade on my U.S. crag for it. <laughs> All right, so let's. You want to get into the things that we should, that we think people should look out for? Okay, yeah, yeah. So guns to look for. Um, so these are going to be guns that I'm kind of gonna. I'm going to give sort of relevant reasons on why you should look for these guns. So start out with I'm going to say the guns to look for um, are French guns. I'm going to blame this on Ian, right? Ian at Forgotten Weapons because, you know, he is, you know, he, he says, it, you know, he's a, he's a Francophile. He loves French guns and he's very passionate. And I think there really, there really is something kind of cool about French guns. He's getting a lot of people, I think, into these guns because, I mean, he has like over a million subscribers now. So when you have a guy with a million subscribers and he's posting about these guns constantly and putting information out there that previously, you know, wasn't out there is going to really um, stir up the the French gun market. He's going to get a lot of people interested in it. You know, a lot of people are going to collect them just because Ian does and because they're cool and, you know, they they want to be like Ian. Some people are just genuinely going to start maybe appreciating French firearm history more and collecting them. So I think that the market is going to uh, go up on those um, significantly. And uh, so I think I think it'd be a good bet seen to um to keep an eye out on on french guns and if you're getting one definitely sooner rather than later with these guns um and I because think i the, think oh sorry you know what you're saying well i just said i think he i think he's going to keep putting out more videos and he's got some pretty neat french guns longer his videos are out there the more videos that he makes about them the more views and the more people that get interested you know the higher the price goes so um definitely if you're interested in french guns you're going to want to do that yeah, and I think specifically the the Bertier models and the uh, Moss thirty six models are going to be the ones that that are not going to be the super expensive ones right now because the Bell, let's face it, is just insane. Oh yeah, and yeah, that's, that's the, a good uh, point. Yeah, the Moss forty nine fifty sixes are going up. Yes, yes, yeah. See that that's going back to the story of the gun that you should have bought. Yeah, yeah. There's a forty nine fifty six that was like four hundred four hundred bucks, four hundred fifty bucks or something like that. I passed on it, but now those are those are way up there. Are, are getting up they're getting up close to like a one grand price range yeah they're getting pretty expensive and even the uh, century conversion ones are actually getting up in price too yeah yeah so so probably i should refrain that and not just say french i mean sort of i mean all french guns i think will go up with pistols and stuff but um specifically yeah the the moss 36 and the uh, the 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 Berthier, Berthier, I'm still not sure how to pronounce that. Berthier? Berthier. Berthier. I'm not doing Berthier. the correct French pronunciation, I'm sure. But oh. I know that there's a T, so it's Berthier. All right, Ber the birdies. So you want to go buy the birdies. Because those are pretty cool. I like the, I have a um, a three-shot 
Bertie Carcano. Why did I say Carcano? I don't know why you said Carcano. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh, it, it's next to the Carcano on the wall. That's why I said oh, okay. I was looking at it. But, um, I have a three-shot uh, Bertie Carbine, and it is a really, you know, I didn't expect, like, really like it that much. But it is a light, little, neat, handy carbine. Like, it is, it's a cool little gun. Like, I bet it kicks a lot. It's a pretty neat gun. Like, I, I think that, you know, there there might you know, there might really be something to, to especially getting the, maybe the, the long rifles, even if you don't like the carbines, you know, there's, there's a lot of varieties of different makers and the different uh, years and models. So there's a bit of collectability there and they're still pretty cheap right now. Yeah. And, and the quality is pretty, not too bad typically either, even though they, even though they were used from, you know, World War One and World War Two, the quality tends to actually be pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah. They're not, they're not rough. They, they seem pr- like pretty well made. They're not like, they're not like fancy. They're not like really like meticulously polished and whatever. But I mean, they're 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 well made. They're the uh, the the fit and finish of them seems you know good. It seems pretty pretty high up. Like probably not like as high as like a like a Swiss gun fit and finish high up there. But the Swiss guns, they're kind of in their own little world. They're not really they're in their own little bubble as far as fit and finish go. Yeah, they are. They're super well made, man. Very much so. I just took this one completely apart and cleaned it. I've been saying that like anybody would put, you know, put that much effort into it, um, into just a, you know, a standard rifle. I mean, now, okay, I'm going to go back into this. Not, not only the Swiss, man, but if you ever like looked at or played with a really nice example, like early war German Mauser, slick as well, man. Those can have a really nice finish. And the, the parts can be really, you know, yeah, they're hand fit and, and, you know, and polished and everything. So guns can be pretty, pretty close to like Swiss quality. Yeah. And I would actually, actually argue it. The next topic on the next one on my list actually was South American Mausers. Okay. That, that fit and finish as well. The fit and finish of the Mausers before up until World War One is amazing. It, it was so high quality that... That you're not going to find, except with the minor exceptions like the Swiss and the Swedish. Well, the Swedish Mausers for sure, but you're not going to find many exceptions where the fit and finish on those are as high of a quality for the South American Mausers. Yeah, I just yeah, I just thought about it. Yeah, Swedish Mausers do actually have a they have a really um, really high like quality fit and finish on theirs. Like I would say that Husqvarna Swedish Mausers, the the fit and finish is a little bit better. Then Carl Gustav and uh, the the early Mauser Obendorf made uh, Swedish Mausers. Yeah, but those are all still pre World War One, right? No, not not the Huskies, man. Those are uh, those are actually like World War Two um, production. Oh, but that country was never in the war, so it was also stayed. Uh, yeah, I mean, it wasn't fully involved. Technically, they were. Yeah, so I mean, we could we could really dive into the I Swedish thing, but that the Swedes sort of had this general rule of neutrality, but they got involved in various ways. But their their factories were not bombed is the key thing I think we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, like their factories weren't bombed, but they were still facing some, you know, wartime restrictions. Like they, you know, they still had um, been less raw materials and stuff like that, just, you know, being, being you know, at, at during World War II. Well, to circle back to my point, though, I think you should be on the lookout for South American Mausers. That Mauser armed basically every single country in South America. I don't think there's a single South American country that did not use Mausers. They're everywhere. 
and you can find them in typically two calibers, 7mm and 7.65 by 53 and now those are not as popular as they were back in the day but they are still made and seven millimeters actually still kind of popular as a hunting round so you can still find those calibers you're going to have high fit and finish you're not going to have the reputation that the k98ks or the gavir 98s bring but you're going to have the like the brazilian 1908s the peruvian 1909s and the chilean 1912s those are straight up Gewehr 98 export models. They are the exact same thing as a Gewehr 98, but you can find them for under 400, under 400, 500 dollars. You're not going to touch a Gewehr 98 for that much. Pretty much any Mauser, like if it's a European Mauser for that price, it's gonna it's gonna be pretty junk. Like you get with those uh, South American Mausers that you just named, you have to spend really double on that to get anything from Europe. But you could look at yeah, like a Chilean 1912. Those are sweet rifles for about the same as a Yugo M48. And uh, and it's it's kind of a weird thing, but the you know these you know, South you know South American Mausers are you know actual German made Mausers, and they're they're made to a very high quality. And that time period, um, like in the the early 1900s before World War One, like those Germans, they made some really nice export rifles. They sure did. They really did. Now, and then the other advantage I, I think that, that South American Mausers hold is that South American countries, specifically Chile, Colombia, and Brazil, converted their rifles to the more common calibers in the 60s and 50s. So Chile converted the 1912s to 7.62 by 51 NATO, and then Colombia, Brazil converted their rifles to 30-06. So you have another another great opportunity because you have the fit and finish quality level of a pre-World War I German Mauser, but then you have a more more common cartridge that you can use without having to worry about reloading or anything like that. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. I would almost say, though, at least the ones in 7mm Mauser, I would I would still like go for one in 7mm Mauser over 2 or 30-06, but I think... Um, I would not want one in 7.65. I think that's a little too hard, a little bit too pricey right now. But 7mm Mauser is a sweet low round. It is a really good cartridge. And I'm not just saying that because that was the first cartridge I ever had. But anyway, well, we kind of mentioned it, actually. You already mentioned it when we were talking about the South Americans. I think the next one we wanted to talk about was the M48. Yeah, yeah. So um, so M48s. You know, for, for those listening that don't know, M48s are, it's a, like an intermediate length action that the, um, that the Yugoslavs, the, the, the communist Yugoslavian government made uh, right after World War II. And they made a few variants. So they made like the M48s, which have all milled parts, and they made the M48A, B, which so, just means that they just slowly introduced more and more uh, stamped parts instead of milled parts. The, I've noticed the prices on them aren't really going up. They, steam, they seem to be pretty steady. Well, and then now we were talking about fit and finish. The, the Yugoslavian ones, I think, have a little bit of a, of a hindrance working against them is that they're not German-made. They're Yugoslavian-made. So the, the reputation isn't there as far as German quality. But the advantage that these ones have is that they were, most of them were made and then immediately stored and never used. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 the best thing about M48s is that they're pretty much a brand new Mauser. Like, there's not a whole lot of cases of made like recently, you know, not like made you know 100 years ago, but you know, made 70 years ago, put into storage, you know, drenched in cosmoline, which really preserved them. 
just sold right afterwards. Just never used, made, put in a storage, sold. And actually, and I'm looking so at the listing right now, uh, this information right now, Danny. With the exception of approximately 4,000 rifles, there was never a time when the Yugoslav army, the Yugoslav army, fielded the M48s. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't understand why they did it, um, except that I know the commies loved making a lot of guns. Like they were really getting ready for something. Well, they did sell them to Egypt, Syria. Indonesia, Burma, Iraq, Algeria, Chad, and uh, Lebanon as well. Yeah, so probably does sound like a Chad rifle. It sounds like something that would have been made and to be sold. But I'm looking at this listing right here. They made over a million between all the variants. Actually, it's, so it's think... 1.2 million plus. Oh. So do you think the Yugos were trying to pull like a, uh, a Danish Madsen uh, bolt-action rifle? They were just trying to... Well, sell guns or do you think they were actually making them for themselves i think they were making them to sell to be honest because it's obvious they didn't use them and they weren't they also part of the ussr uh i think they might have been you know they were under the ussr influence like a lot of those countries i don't know if they were in the warsaw pact though i can't remember but they yeah but they were you know a communist uh country at the time and under the ussr influence yeah uh, they split in 1948, which is actually when the M48 started to be made. That probably is what, what's going on. I don't know the history behind the M48, but I would probably take a guess and say that they split from the the Soviet ideology and they decided to go a different route and they made a bunch of these guns, but they never really got into any fighting. And so they just kind of started selling them whenever they needed money. Huh. Yeah, it's, it's funny how many commies, how commies love making guns and selling them. I didn't awesome. realize there was that many. 1.2 million. Yeah, that's a ton. I guess maybe that's be, uh, keeping the prices down here in the U.S. But, you know, if if you're looking for a Mauser, those are one of the few Mausers, kind of like I said before, that it's that you're going to get. And it's going to be pristine condition. Finish is pretty good on them because it's just pretty brand new. But uh, in my experience, the fit is a little hit or miss on those. Like you'll you'll handle sort of like a brand new one and it'll just be smooth and it'll work fine and everything. I'll handle one that just kind of feels like the parts don't quite, you know, fit perfect together. I don't know what exactly that is. Um, I, I'm just sort of guessing, you know, unmet, unmotivated, you know, maybe slightly less skilled, you know, factory workers making these guns or I'm not or sure. Potentially but... an arsenal refit where they swap something they shouldn't have. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, so there it's a it's a cool way of getting a Mauser, a European Mauser for, you know, for pretty cheap and one that's going to be in uh, in pretty decent shape. Well, let's move on to something that's a little bit less good shape, Turkish Mausers. Oh boy. Uh, too bad Sam's not here to talk about Turks. Yeah, Sam is a big fan of the Turkish Mausers and Danny and I I've shot a Turkish Mauser. Danny, have you ever shot one? No, I've just handled a bunch. Well, you've handled a bunch, so you're going to understand this and agree with, I'm sure, with this. But the fit and finish on Turkish Mausers probably originally was really good because they were made by Germany for the most part. And then I think Turkey made some of their own. They're, they were used a lot. They're not going to be in great shape for the most part. Yeah, yeah, those guns are pretty rough. Yeah, that's kind of the opposite case is, is for the M48. Yeah, those, those Turkish guns, man, um, they're going to be rough, but at least they're cheap. Yeah. Is, yeah, Turkish Turkish Mausers are a good way of getting into Mausers um, on on the cheap. Yeah, because it's, of the overall rough condition and the fact they're from Turkey, they're not have a great reputation, and therefore they don't have a lot of price reflected in in their um, sale. 
Yeah, um, it's a bit because I guess nobody like there's not like a huge like Turkish firearms like base here in the, in the U.S. But to do with the the Turkish refurb process that they went through in like the 30s, pretty much they they went through um, in various times they went through these like refurbishment. A lot of times they you know like they had these really cool old uh, their their 1893 Mausers that were just they're really cool they have a magazine cut off on the side and they just would go through they would you know take off anything like that they were trying to standardize on all their stuff so they would they would remove all the markings and the the, the arsenal that was doing it would put their marks on it in the year new wood on it and then you know and then throw it throw it back into the you know, armories or circulation or whatever so with these Turkish Mausers, you don't get like a huge like variation in them because they were all kind of refurbished at one time or another. So you get guns that are really mixed matched, and then a lot of them all have the same exact receiver markings. So the, the the collectability yeah, go on. Sorry, the collectability is a little like it's a little low on most Turks now. <laughs> when you get into like the the, like the unmolested rifles or like original Ottoman rifles that haven't been upgraded or anything, high dollar guns. And those actually do have um, a pretty good following. And I wouldn't mind getting my hands on like a, an original Ottoman Mauser that hasn't been messed with at all. Like that would be, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And then, but, but I will say this though, because of all the different various upgrade programs and all the different models that they upgraded, it gets really confusing to figure out which one that you're looking at. And therefore it's confusing for the person selling it. So they might have a rare variation or a rarer model or a rarer upgrade. And they don't know because it's just so many different times. Yeah, that's very true. I've seen, I've seen a rarer one. I forgot what the designation is on it. It's like a 90, 93 slash 33 or something like that. But well, antique receiver it was one of the ones that had the magazine cut off and everything and some of the original markings hadn't been ground off fully and you know of course this person didn't know any of this that this was a really old nice one that was then you know upgraded later on or refurbished later on it was you know it was really dirt cheap it was one of those guns that if it wasn't refurbished i would have jumped on that in a heartbeat but still there it was a really good price and uh, i saw a couple of turkish mausers that were just like a phenomenally priced gun like these turkish mausers in some cases are cheaper than 9130s yeah and they're still an eight millimeter mauser for the most part yeah so it's 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 kind of like as as far as get a cheap gun um your kind of your options are still sort of like a 9130 uh turkish mausers might be one to look into you know if you don't have a lot of money and you want to get something but at least uh, at least the Turk, you know, Mauser that you're looking at might have a really long and neat history to it. I'm looking at CN Arsenal's uh, website, and they have a quick and dirty guide to Turkish rifles. There are, in just the Mausers, the conversion and update versions alone, there are 10 different models designations. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty confusing for just about anybody that would be looking, looking to buy one, so... Yeah, that 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 could be a cool, you know, gun for people to uh, to look into getting into and, you know, more rare and more expensive. But right now they seem to be, you know, pretty fairly available and, you know, fairly cheap. Yeah. And in a fairly affordable caliber. Danny, yeah, do you have so, another one? Uh, another gun? Well, I have one more. Go, okay. You can go ahead if you have something else. Uh, I was going to talk about Swiss guns. I don't know if I already talked about them a whole lot. Well, but... we can talk about Swiss guns, yeah. So as far as 2019 goes sort of along the lines of french guns like if you're wanting if you're 
you're wanting to get into this, now is the time to do it. I think the secret's out. People are buying them. I don't see them very often for sale anymore. And the prices, they tend to be pretty high. So I think now the price is starting to reflect the high quality of the rifles. But we're not so far along that they're not way expensive. They're still being imported sometimes. So um, I don't know if you know smaller guys like Classic are still getting them in a whole lot. But um, Edelweiss Arms is still importing them. They're sort of trickling in. And so they're a gun that is going up in price. And I think one of the few things that's holding the price from going up really high right now is the fact that they're still being by, by companies like Edelweiss. I think if you're looking to get one of these, you know, one of these Swiss guns, 11 or K11 or K31, um, I think you're going to want to get one of those in 2019 here before, before you know, the, the Swiss start sell, stop selling them. Also before the ammo gets too high because that GP11 ammo, it's, it's already getting really expensive. Yeah, and if you get into the older Swiss ones, it's not GP11, it's GP90, which is not the same. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you get <laughs> yeah if you get an 1889 uh, Swiss, that yeah don't just try to put uh, GP11 in it and, and shoot it. Do say that you can shoot GP11 out of an 1899 in emergency only situations. But if you shoot your 1889 recreationally through, you know, if you're shooting GP11 through it recreationally, you're gonna you're gonna damage that gun eventually. Yeah, I agree with you. I think the um, the Swiss guns are super high fit and finish. I think that for some reason they just didn't have the following. I think it has to do with the fact that they were never really involved in a war. The you know they're in a weird caliber for the U.S. They're straight pulls, and and all of that kind of just weighs into the factor of they don't really have like a niche following. But then the K31, especially at the end of last year, just suddenly exploded in terms of value. Yeah, yeah, that one that one picked up really fast. I remember, I think it was less than two, just less than two years ago, I made a top five guns under $500, and the K31 was on that list. Definitely not on that list anymore. It is, it's gone up. Like, it's it's definitely over that 500 mark now, and it's only six now, and it's only going to go, it's only going to go up, especially as the stocks, you know, run, run dry of them and I sort of have a theory on why a lot of these neutral guns, like Swiss guns, um, why they're not super popular, but now they're kind of getting more popular with just the exposure to the U.S. market. And, uh, you know, since, you know, Sweden and Switzerland, they weren't involved in one of these wars, kept their guns. So they didn't, they didn't lose or get involved in a war. And, you know, like when Germany lost and Japan lost, uh, millions of their of their rifles back to the back to the United States, and so you know everybody knew about them, and everybody's been collecting them and and, and shooting them, you know, ever since the end of World War II. Held on to their guns, you know, they they used them up until the 60s, I think. They used the the K31s up until yeah, 50s or 60s. Fairly recently, then started letting them go and selling them. Not much exposure for a long time on the U.S. market, but I think. Yeah, I think it's really starting to make an impact and people are the, um, the the value in the rifle. And that's one of the things, too, is like the whatever the rifle is and then the actual dollar amount, like the value of the rifle, the quality of the rifle and the dollar amounts, they don't always match up. And, uh, and with Swiss guns, they definitely don't match up. So the price is only going to go up to to sort of match the quality of the of the gun as people start to appreciate them and 
and collect them more. And when they, you know, when they, when they dry up in Switzerland and stop being imported, then their price is really going to go up. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to mention your body, just so you know, yeah. um, how much longer you have to get these guns before the prices go up. I'm looking at Edelweiss arms right now, and I'm seeing six K11s for $410 a piece. Yeah. Yeah. So you definitely, if you can find one for a good price now, one of the things that you should look for with K31s and, and K these Swiss guns is the, the import marks. It's going to be matching numbers. It's going to be hard to find one, actually, that's not matching numbers. Or with Swiss guns is the import marks. So I'm lucky to have a K31 that has no import marks on it whatsoever, which is kind of crazy. I have another one, uh, another Swiss K31 that has a really, you know, that, that old style one where it's just like one little lightly etched line and they put it like underneath the barrel it's got which is also really nice but these new ones that are coming in they have i I swear it's getting just like bigger and bigger like the requirements that they have to etch in and they they etch a billboard under the side of these you know these swiss receivers which is really sad because they're so beautiful and then they have to etch them all up so when you're looking for these guns typically the newer imported ones have these gigantic billboard you know import marks on them and if you don't care about that, then then you're going to get a good deal. Those guns are going to go for for less money. The the bigger the import mark on a nicer one, you're going to want to kind of look around and look for a Swiss gun that has a smaller import mark. Yeah, and that's something that I don't really have much of a problem with, as far as is my concern. I know that Will has a big problem with import marks, and he refuses to have one with an import mark. I I just don't have that big of an issue, but I understand why people do. I like. I'd which of my uh, K31s to keep because the, there's the one that has no import mark and then the one that has the tiny import mark. Um, so obviously I'm going to keep the one with the no import mark. Um, but another thing to look for with these Swiss rifles is the, uh, the name tags, the butt plates. So if you can, if they'll let you wherever you're looking, um, if you can you know, unscrew and take the butt plate off and look underneath and see if there's a um, piece of paper under there with the name on it, um, that also, I think, increases. If it doesn't directly increase the price of the rifle, it definitely increases to buy it um, at, at a fair price. Um, so, if you're going to look for a Swiss gun, my advice: if there's, you know, one under it, if you can't check yourself, and then, uh, yeah, look for one with a small import mark. Yeah, and I don't think you're going to be able to find the K31s for a decent price anymore. We're, we're, I think we're specifically referring to the older models, which still use GP11, but that's like the 1911, the K11, uh, the 1896-11. Those are all going to be fairly reasonably priced, but still same extreme level of quality. Yeah, yeah, pretty much the quality. Now, I've had the stocks off of my 1889, my G11, and, you know, both my K31s. And that really, like, the fit and finish and attention to detail is is there, you know, for over, you know, for over the, the whole rifle period that, they, that they've had them. They've, well, you definitely will not be disappointed with your with your Swiss gun. Yeah, I agree. I, I wasn't disappointed with the fit and finish of my K31. You were just disappointed with its, isn't that right? I was disappointed with its action. I just didn't find it exciting to shoot. And uh, and then the price of the ammunition kept me from shooting it very often. And then I just never got around to reloading for it. So I had an opportunity to get rid of it, and I got rid of it. Oh, man. These all sound like excuses to me. I'm very happy with the Vigero that I got instead. Yeah, that is a pretty neat gun. Well, I, we kind of... It's definitely a gun that... Sorry, what? I was going to say, that's definitely a, a gun that, like... 
you're bringing out, people are kind of like, wow, like, what is that? Is that a K98K or what, what is that? It is definitely an interesting piece, which fits more with my style, even though the K31 does as well because it's a straight pull action. Well, Danny, we got kind of low on time here, but uh, what is something you're looking out for in 2019? All right. So guns that I'm looking out for in 2019 are um, kind of kind of be the ones that I that I that I said already. Mostly I'm going to be looking out for uh, for Japanese guns. Eye on uh, Nambu pistols, especially because of a, how the prices have been going up. So if I can find one for the price that they were selling for like a year or two ago, I, I would probably get that. Looking for like a Type 99 with all the with all the accoutrement, that that would be really nice. Get one with the the mom and the monopod and everything. I think that's what I'm gonna to really be looking for. Um, that and uh, well, right now I guess my thing is crags. I guess I'm looking for looking to get one of each crag. Pretty fun, actually. I have the the U.S. one, and so do you. I think you actually bought it because you shot mine. Yeah, I don't know if I would have bought it if I hadn't shot yours first, man. Yeah. Uh, but I think something that I would be looking for right now is actually uh, an Ishapur 2A1 or a 2A. Uh, which is the uh, Indian homemade uh, version of the SMLE, but it's uh, redone in uh, 7.62x51. And I think I could argue that is the best version of the SMLE. Yeah, I, I think that, I think pretty much with the um, the magazine improvements, um, reliability improvement. Well, the with elimination of a rimmed cartridge as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think you're, I think it's a, it's a great caliber. And then it's gonna, you know, it's gonna fix some of the some of the feeding issues of the uh, of the infield. So I've actually that, never heard a bad thing about them, to be honest. Yeah, you know, they're not they're not super collectible. I find them every now and then. I just I don't think Indian guns are looked at as being very like high quality. And I think it's because they tend to look a little rough when you find them because they were used. Guys, they they carried them around. They used them. You know, even if they weren't used in like a war or fighting. You know, there's, you know, a, a cop or something carried carried that thing around and it, it got a lot of use. So they're, they're either used up or they're like painted black. Yeah, yeah. But looks aside, I think you have a pretty solid gun there. Totally agree. Other than the 2A1, what else, what else are you going to be looking for in 2019? I don't really have much else I look for. I just kind of go with the flow and see what comes my way and what I'm able to find. My area doesn't have big on Milserp, so it's just kind of not really something I go out and look for. I also don't have a lot of money to throw around, so it's not something that I go out and look for stuff. But, you know, if something comes up at a, at a good price or a good deal, then, you know, that's what you do. Yeah, that's yeah, that is pretty much what I do, I think, too. Like, I look, if it's a good price, I think I'll buy it just about. If it's a good price, yeah, it's hard to... It's hard not to buy them, you know, if it's a SERP, you know, you can't, you can't really lose money on it. It's going to go up in value, you know, and then if it's your thing, you know, then that's, that's a really immeasurable quality, you know, quantity there, the happiness you'll get from it. Exactly. Your, well, your crag, I think, got me, got me, made me buy this one. I, the look of surprise, and I wish we had tried filming it, but it was at a public range and we just, the footage is useless. The look on Danny's face, the surprise when he fired it and then cycled the action and then checked to make sure it actually picked up a round because it's so smooth he didn't realize it had picked up a round was, was one ridiculous. of the funniest things I've ever seen. It was that, it is, it's so ridiculous, man. Like, I'm pretty sure um, afterwards, not on the first round, but like on, on the second or third, I opened gun. So you have that like force that you overcome, you know, when you, when you cock it. 
And uh, so, and I, but I was able to lift the bolt and cock it with my pinky. Tackle that gun with just your pinky. It, it's so smooth, much force at all. And when you, yeah, when you chamber that round, it does, because of, you know, the, the way the magazine works, it doesn't feel like, you know, you're stripping around off the magazine and it's going up into the chamber, like smooth because really it's just like, it's just like loading around, like on a, um, like on a single loader or something like the round just goes in there and it's just, there's no resistance. There's no, like, it doesn't feel like you, you feel like you messed up and just, you know, close the bolt on an empty chamber, but yeah. And it's one of those, it was amazing to me before I shot one that we accepted that in the United States as a military firearm without doing field testing. But after shooting it in a controlled environment, like at the range, I totally understand at the range. This is like the best thing ever. It's so smooth. It's accurate. It's easy to handle. It's, it's well balanced. You get out in the field and that, that magazine is just awful and it's, just not going to work it's in a rimmed cartridge it's just not it wasn't a good choice for a war weapon but oh man is this like a sniper's or a a range weapons dream it's just mm, great yeah it's a great it's a great target rifle man the u.s loves adopting target rifles and it was a really nice one and this you know the um swedes almost adopted the 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 crag instead you know because it was because Norway was part of Sweden at the time, so it was like a fairly, you know, domestic design. And one of the things written in the trials that they tried to do, stop the the crag, was one of these guys when he was working the action on the on the Mauser, he would like deliberately like go, like kind of <laughs> pretend as if it was really, you know, hard to work the the Mauser action, especially right after shooting the crag. And that was the the crag really spoiled everybody in that trials with was just how smooth and easy the uh, the bolt is yeah the magazine system is amazing in that regard but at the same time i cannot imagine trying to load that magazine under duress oh yeah that'd be that would be pretty pretty nuts i don't i don't the um the what was that one the one hill or whatever they the the u.s fought the, uh, uh, the san Spanish. juan hill oh where like there was like how many bazillion rounds of 30, 40 laying on the ground because people were dropping them instead of getting them in their guns. Yeah, it was, it was pretty noticeable after the, uh, after that battle, after that engagement that we had made a wrong decision. Yeah. However, I think I heard, I need to try this. I need to, I really need, I don't have any 30, 40 though, but, um, I heard that the, uh, the Swiss like little cardboard loader, with the crags and uh you know guys they use the crag rifles actually in shooting competitions and they use a they use a clip to to load the rifle so there is a way i've seen them use the swiss uh k31 charger clips before yeah i need to i need to try that i need some 3040 first but i want to try that and like make a video about it i think norway also made a speed loader uh for like target competitions but i'm not sure oh yeah i wonder if the norwegians or the danes had a clip for their crags. I don't think it was used for military use, but I think it was for like competition shooting. Yeah. Hmm. Because competition yeah. shooting for the people that don't know is really big in Europe. Yeah, or at least it used to be. It's still pretty big in some of the 
some of the countries, but... Yeah, it was a really big deal for competition shooting, probably up until World War II, essentially. All right, well... Yeah, we'll get a little bit off topic with the Craig here. Yeah, <laughs> but, whatever. Uh, we, get that, oh, we, we get that way. I mean, if you can find a Craig for a good price, I would suggest getting one of those as well. Oh, yeah. Like, pretty much, I think if you can find any Craig rifle, any rifle, as long as it's not, like, sporterized, and you got to be careful with fake Craig uh, carbines, but if you can find a Craig for under 600 bucks, man... Yeah, like Danny did for $488. What? Yeah. Anyway, I think that's going to be it for today. Uh, I don't think we have enough time to go into anything else. But it's been, I think it's been really informative. I think people are going to be able to use this and, and talk about and go out and, with a different perspective on what to look for. Yeah, yeah. I hope everyone took got something out of this besides our, our random chit-chat. But, uh, I mean, we guns man you know it's easy to get off topic because it's such a broad you know thing but i love talking about guns and i hope that i hope that everyone you know enjoys listening to us yeah and i think i think the key takeaway for me and this is something that took me a while to learn this too is that the key takeaway i think from this whole conversation is if you find a good deal on something don't let it go it doesn't matter if it's on your quote-unquote list buy it yeah you can always resell it but it'll it'll eat at your soul if you miss out on something that's really cool or unique. Exactly. And and, and that's the key that's the key thing is that it, if you're not going to want to keep it, but it's an amazing deal, then sell it. You can easily sell something that is a, like a good deal like like Danny's crack. I'm sure he could probably make some money off of that if he ever wanted to sell it. It's it's easy to do that in the Millsurf community because you're always going to find the person that's like, "I've been looking for that for forever." And you're going to offer it to me for like two or three hundred dollars below what the normal asking price is right now. Perfect. They'll be thanking you for it. Yeah, that's yeah, true. And it's cool. It's it's a it's an antique. It's a fine one. So mine no, is no, not. Yeah. Mine is nineteen oh three, I believe, which is kind of neat because it was this same year as the Springfield nineteen oh three. But anyway, yeah, that's that is pretty neat. All right. Well, that was it for today. I hope everybody had a good time, and then we'll catch you again next time. Talk to you later, guys. All right. Bye.